Good morning, family. Glad you are here today. Um, we have been in a, a series called Heaven on Earth as we're uh, in, in Advent uh, and kind of celebrating and anticipating and moving towards Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and and uh, I, I always, we're going to talk about anxiety, so I'm going to create just a little anxiety for you. Christmas is in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, I can tell you that's what it is for the staff through all of this. Well, last week we talked about hope uh, and how important that was and that hope comes from putting your trust in God. You know, every, you put your trust in something, whether you put your trust in yourself uh, and your cleverness and, and your resources or you put yourself, uh, your trust in politicians, that seems like a bad idea to me, whichever side you're on, you know, uh, whether you put your trust in, your, your, you know, whatever you put your trust in is kind of what you're looking for for life, right? You know, uh, it's, it's almost a, a betting term, right? You, you put your trust in, you put your money on a horse, you know, kind of a deal. Um, but, but really what you need to do is put your trust in God, amen? That, that's what gives us hope because internally we just know uh, that that's, that's the only thing we can really rely on. I mean, you don't even have to think about it very much. Let's see, should I trust myself or should I trust the God of the universe? God of the universe seems like a good choice, you know, in, in all of that. So we talked about that. So the next two weeks, especially, we're going to kind of talk about the benefits that come out of putting our trust uh, in God. Uh, this week, you've, we've already talked about peace a little bit. Uh, and then next week, we'll, uh, we'll talk about uh, joy together. So there we go, peace. Uh, the thing we're going to talk about. And when we talk about peace, we're talking about a deep peace. Um, not, not the just average, everyday sort of thing when you yell at your kids, would you please be quiet? Clearly, I'm the only one that did that, right? <laughs> you know, too much sound, just, I don't know. But, but we're talking about a much deeper thing, and we're going to talk about that. But before we get that, we want to work on our memory verse uh, together that we're doing for Advent, uh, and because we're talking about heaven come down, right? And so we're just not talking about, you know, heaven on earth in the sense of, ooh, everything's perfect. There's a really specific kind of theological reason we're doing that, uh, and that comes out of our, our memory verse. So let's say this together. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6, 9, and 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in the same way as it is done in heaven. And that's kind of what this is all about, that heaven has come to us. Heaven uh, comes in Christ Jesus and he establishes uh, his, his kingdom. So I, I want us to read also what was read before. I love these passages from Isaiah that are kind of looking forward to the coming of the king, to the coming of, of the Messiah uh, together. And but before we do that, I just want to kind of tell you, um, it's what's called a royal proclamation. In the ancient world, when a new prince was born, right, would one day be the king, they, they would make royal proclamations and tell everybody about it, and, and it's, a, it's a big deal. Uh, and so this passage is actually a royal proclamation uh, through Isaiah, looking down through history at the arrival of Christ, and then probably ultimately at his coming again when he's going to make it all right. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let's, let's say this together, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Uh, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And everybody said, yeah, I I just love this passage. There's so much in that. And I I love this idea that Christ is the prince of of, of peace, the one whose reign will be marked, will be uh, made known with, with peace. Uh, in, in this world. And when they talk about peace, this is another thing, these words we use at Advent, we talked about how the word hope in English isn't very representative of the word that gets translated into that in, in the Bible. The same is true in many ways of, of peace. Uh, when, when we live uh, in peace, you know, we think of the absence of conflict or the absence of too much noise or those sorts of things, maybe getting by a lake or something and just peace, ah, you know, deep breath kind of a thing. But the word uh, that, that's translated in the Isaiah passage, and, and that even in the New Testament, probably the writers are thinking about this word, shalom. Say shalom. shalom. Right. So, um, and it means peace, but, and there are lots of definitions, but this is the best one I've come up with. Rightness with God and his creation. Okay? Rightness with God. And, and not just like just justification, but, but when it's right. It's, it's like that time in your marriage, like when it's like all going really well, you know? You've all had spurts of that somewhere, haven't you? You know, I mean, because it doesn't go like that all the time, right? This is, we have to get to heaven before we get this all the time and, and in every, everything. But, but that's what, what it's like. It, it's rightness with God in right relationship with him. And then rightness with his creation, with other people and with, with the, the planet as a whole and, and all that God has created. We live in this right relationship with God and with, with all, of, all of creation. But here's the problem. We clearly don't live like that yet, amen? I mean, even in our most intimate relationships like marriage, we have times when we struggle. Don't leave me hanging, man. My wife's gonna be like, see, we're the only ones. You're the problem, you know? (laughs) We all have times like this. Um, in fact, we grew up in different worlds. In some ways, it feels like it's, it's getting worse. I don't know that it is for sure, but from my perception, I mean, when I was a kid, I grew up kind of in, the, in a country outside, uh, not far outside, a few miles outside the city. And, and when I was a kid, like before I had a driver's license, 12, 13, I, I would ride my bike into town, right? And then I'd go all the way over to Aberdeen. If you know where Aberdeen and Hoquiam was, we were on East Hoquiam and all over in Aberdeen. I'd just ride all over. I'd leave in the morning and I'd come back. I had to be back before, you know, it got dark kind of a, a thing. And, you know, it was wonderful. I loved it. I would not let my children do that. It's because we live in a different kind of world than, than that. In fact, I, I, uh, the other day I was back, and so I kind of drove out to that place. And I went through these S-curves that you have to go through, and I thought, that's the most dangerous part of that journey because you cannot see around a corner. I'm lucky I didn't get killed riding a bike around all of that, you know? But today we would worry about all kinds of things. And, and we live in a world where there is no peace, there is no shalom, there's no rightness with one another. I mean, Ukraine, we're, we're seeing all this going on in there and, and in the Middle East and all that's going on there. And, and Africa's always got several wars going on. And we, we live in a times that are nervous for us economically. How many remember 2008? 
you know, 15 years ago, and it was scary, and it all seemed to fall apart. And, you know, in order to fix that kind of stuff, they, they raise interest rates in the hopes that in unemployment will go up. You know what that translates to? In the hope that you will lose your job. That's, that's what that is, and it's just kind of a scary sort of thing. Even on a personal level, the times can be very difficult. Marriages struggle. Relationships with kids struggle. People lose their, their jobs. Businesses go under. Uh, you get a bad diagnosis. You find yourself sitting in an emergency room, waiting room, in all of that. All of those things. Kids get hooked on drugs. Kids are far from Christ. Things that, that, that are not peace And in the midst of all of that, sometimes, I'm just going to be frank, sometimes it seems like God is silent. I can't tell you how many times I have prayed, God, are you up there? Are you paying attention to what's going on in in the the world uh, around me? There's levels of fear and anxiety in in all of that. And so the question uh, I want to kind of start with this morning is, where is God and what are we to do when life is out of control? Where is God, and what are we to do when life is out of control, when disaster strikes, when you can't fix it, when you feel like a bystander uh, in, in your own life? And, and that's those times I'm thinking about. I mean, we feel pretty good when, when we, it's under control, life is going good, you just got promoted in a raise, kids are all doing what they're supposed to do, they got good grades, life is pretty good. But in those times when disaster strikes and you feel like, you're just kind of along for the ride and you don't have control. That's the times that are difficult for us. And so we're going to talk about this peace that God gives to us in the midst of it. And there are three ways God gives peace. Number one is peace with God, right? That we would live in right relationship with him. That everyone would have a transformational encounter with the living God. Okay, are you on board with that? <laughs> that everyone would have a transformational encounter with the living God, amen? Amen. Yes, and I, am, I just want to say, if you're here and you have not, if you haven't experienced personal relationship with Christ, I want to encourage you to take that step, even this morning. You don't have to pay attention to anything else I say. Just talk to God for a while, okay? Confess that you're, you need him, right? We all have a past. Ask him to come in, okay? Turn away from what you were doing before, and then let him come in, man. And then tell me or one of the pastors or somebody, we would love to baptize you, okay? We'd love to have you be a part of that. But then there's also this peace that God gives us, okay? Peace from God, and that's what we're going to talk about. And then the third kind of peace is kind of the peace in the world. We're called to be peacemakers. I wish I could talk about that. I want to talk about the peace that comes from God. So uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this uh, decades after Christ walked on the earth and hundreds of years after the prophecy, uh, Paul kind of gives us an idea of of what that that looks like. Um, But we need to talk a little bit about this advice, because this is the kind of advice that kind of falls in that category of when someone who isn't married gives you advice about how to fix your marriage. You know, anybody been there like that, you know, or someone who's never had kids that tells you you're doing it all wrong, you know, that, that kind of thing, or, or someone in your job who has never done your job who wants to fix how you do your job, right? Am I the only one that's had those experiences in life? I mean, we've all had that. And this, this advice is going to feel like that if you don't know Paul's uh, credentials in all of this. So um, a couple things about Paul. Paul, uh, as you know, was saved in an amazing sort of way where God literally struck him down uh, and kind of did a miracle in his life. And he goes through some preparation. Eventually he goes on three missionary journeys. 
uh, around. In the second one, he goes to this place called Philippi, which is Philippians. That's the people who live in Philippi are Philippians, okay? Um, and so uh, while he's there, though, it, it doesn't go as smoothly as maybe he would have uh, liked it, it to go, uh, but he's, he's been called by God to be there. This is kind of northern Greece, so it's kind of God moved him from going to Asia to going into Europe, and we're all thankful for that, amen? You know, a lot of us experience that because of that. But there was this gal that kept following him around and, and calling him out as, as a follower of Christ, as, as a worshiper of God. And, and she uh, would tell fortunes to people, and evidently they were better than average, or she really did have something and could tell. And so one day Paul gets frustrated with her, this is a cool healing, and turns around and casts the demons out, right? You know, it's like, okay, I've had it. Now I'm going to do, you know, cast the demons out of you. And so he does, and now she can't tell fortunes. She was a slave girl, so those that owned her were not very happy about that, right? They've lost their source of revenue, and so they uh, come and, and get him, and they take him to the magistrate, and the magistrate has him stripped and beaten. Now, just a couple of things. I don't think very many of us have had a formal beating before. Maybe you've lost a fist fight, but a beating is a whole other kind of thing when they can just go as long as they want and they stripped him. Keep in mind for a Jew, they hardly even would show their ankles to be stripped as a form of sexual uh, abuse for them. And then they throw him in the bottom of the dungeon. They put stocks on his feet uh, so that he can't get out. Uh, and then you know the story. God did a miracle. The doors opened. The Philippian jailer found Christ. Uh, the church is established in, in, in that place. Uh, so a wonderful sort of thing, but they tell him, get out of town and don't ever come back. But Paul didn't do j just that. Uh, later on, Paul uh, completes his third missionary journey. He's getting done, and uh, they, they prophesy to him, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound, and bad things are going to happen. And he decides to go to Jerusalem anyway. Uh, one day they see him in the temple. Uh, they recognize him as someone that's caused them all kinds of heartburn. He's purely, you know, a heretic, and, and he's not doing, saying the right things about God. He's telling people you can, you can actually live in a relationship with God by grace. You don't have to do all these things. And, and and so uh, they, they uh, gather up a crowd and they attack him. Uh, and literally the Romans, they would intend on beating him to death again. And the, the Roman guards uh, rescue him through all of that. And then, and then as he's going, to, the, going to, the, uh, to see the magistrate, he says, can I talk to the crowd for just a minute? And the guy's like, okay, maybe we can calm this all down. He turns around and he talks to them. Uh, and, and he says, oh, and by the way, here's all these things God is doing. I have been sent to the Gentiles. And that just makes the crowd go bananas because everybody knows Gentiles are sinners, okay? You can't talk to Gentiles. They're barely people in, in, in all of this. And so the crowd just goes nuts uh, again uh, through, all, through all of that. And so um, the commander orders him, orders him beaten again. This guy just gets beat up on a lot. Uh, and, and eventually they chain him uh, up. And then they decide, um, before he takes the beating, I love this, when he was young, he took the beating. Then he told, he was, told him he was a Roman, right? And they're like, oh no, we're going to trouble. This time he's a little older and wiser. And before they beat him, he says, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. Well, that changes everything because you, there's a different set of rules for Roman citizens and you just can't go around administering kind of punishment to them like that. So they don't know what to do with all of this. So they put him on a ship and send him to Rome. We're going to let Rome deal with this, this whole thing. Can you imagine what it is? Probably chained in the bottom of the boat and the, and the boat is moving like this because there's storms and all that. Any of you ever get seasick? 
Got the picture of what it would have been like in the hole of that ship right there, you know? This is not a fun experience. Most of you know uh, it's a couple of weeks and then the ship wrecked in the middle of the storm. He ends up on an island. He's there for a couple of weeks and he gets bit by a poisonous snake but doesn't die. There's a whole thing going on that. They eventually get him to Rome. Uh, He is there for a couple of years uh, under under house arrest and he would have been living under the the thought that he is probably not going to survive this encounter, that probably he is going to die through all of this. And uh, tradition says that that's exactly what happened. He would eventually be executed. I was reading uh, a kind of a historian guy. I was talking about that particular thing, and I hadn't realized this, but he was talking about how um, the Romans, when they're dealing with a high-profile kind of execution, would do it different. Rather than just having the normal sort of thing, they would actually show up one day at the person's house and say, hey, Paul, we need you to come with us. But instead of going back to, the, to the, the palace, they would actually walk him out of town and they would walk them several miles out of town where nobody's around and then they would perform the execution. And in all likelihood, that's what happened to Paul. So Paul has experienced a lot of pain and suffering in his life. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, he lays out some of this. Listen to this. I have been in prison more frequently than any of these others, these false teachers, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Five times under the lash, okay? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and with rocks, not the other kind of stoned. Um, Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and three times he was shipwrecked. I think I'd get out of ships. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have not and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have often gone without food. I have been cold and have been naked. Paul has some amazing credentials about what it is like to have a life that's out of control. We couldn't do anything about it. I mean, what are you going to do? Punch a Roman guard? (laughs) That's a bad idea, you know? And so he has lived this life like that, and I want you to keep that in mind because he knows what suffering is. He has some experiences. In fact, Paul has got more suffering than anybody I know, with maybe the exception of Corey Ten Boom. And if you have not read her book, The Hiding Place, I really want to encourage you to do that. It will give you a perspective on your own life and your own suffering. So now he is, he is in Rome, facing death eventually. He's writing back to the church at Philippi, to these Philippians, and he speaks with authority because I, he's going to give us some stuff that's going to be hard for us to hear. So um, let's begin. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near in all of this. Okay, whoops, I think I missed one, did I? Oh, there it is. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And right immediately, if you're a normal kind of human being, you're looking at this and going, nope, that's crazy talk, right? When you are in the midst of suffering and when everything is going wrong, you don't start with, hey, I think I'll rejoice today. This is a good day to rejoice. For me, anyway, it's a good day to complain is what I want to do. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And, And a lot of people just stop listening at that point. But if you know his life, you know that he speaks with authority. He has done that. He has lived this. Uh, he's lived in the, the uh, real world and suffered. So, and it goes on. 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And the gentleness here is the idea of patience and forbearance. It's kind of the opposite of quarrelsome. And then he says, evident to all. So he's connecting this to our witness, okay? And here's the problem for most of us in suffering. And that is, uncertain times bring out the worst in us. Amen? I have experienced in my life that when life is hard and it's not going the way I want or I'm in pain emotionally or physically and all of that, I tend to get a little cranky. At least that's what Jody says, okay? I don't see it, but she says that's the case, so we'll just believe her in all of that. And what Paul is saying is important to keep your gentleness in all of that because the world is watching. And it is possible for us to kind of justify treating others poorly in those moments. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Let your gentleness be evident to the world around you. Because there should be something unique about how followers of Jesus treat other people. Amen? The, 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 the ethic of our faith is so important, how we interact with one another. And that is especially true in those times when it is most difficult for us. Because when you treat people nice when everything's going well, everybody gets that. But when you treat people well, when you're in a place of deep suffering, they pay attention to that. There's something in that person that's different. There's, a, there's an issue here with communicating with our, our world. Then, goes on, do not be anxious about anything. Nope, that's it, we're done. Can't do that, that's not possible. He must not have a clue as to what's going on. And yet he did, okay? We live in a time, if you notice this, anxiety is at epidemic levels. It's just everybody is just tense and worried and there's stuff going on. And so here's my definition of anxiety. Uh, Anxious is unproductive anxiety about circumstances, even really bad circumstances. And by unproductive, I mean some anxiety is productive. Certain amount of stress makes you perform better, right? But, But when we get to that point where we're having lots of anxiety about something we can't control, that's destructive. Or we're just constantly anxious all the time. There's lots of research into it. Our bodies aren't aren't made to have have that. And and for the Philippians, that was probably a part of it. Probably most of them were poor and and a lot of them were, were slaves and they had difficult, hard things. And Paul is saying, my experience in all of this is that there's something you can do uh, uh, about this. And here's the good news. That's the hard part of the sermon, right? You're all going, oh my goodness, we're never going to get this done. Here's where Paul turns the corner and gives us the secret sauce. Say secret sauce. I know I'm dating myself, McDonald's commercial, okay? Secret sauce uh, to what, how to deal with extraordinary circumstances. He starts out with this. But, okay, instead of the anxiety, instead of that stuff, but in every situation, okay, uh, in, in every, no matter what it is, here's the important part of all of this. Do this instead of worrying, Okay. He goes on, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. We know what thanksgiving is. The word for prayer here is a word for like formal prayer uh, in, a, in a group. I, I call this kind of our laundry list or shopping list with God. Hey God, if you could do this, and you could do this, and you could do this, that would be really good. The important word here is the word petition. Say petition. Okay, petition carries the idea of passionate emotion because of need. It actually refers uh, to the idea of, of extreme poverty, right? The word talks about that. And so when you're in great, great need, it's like, I need God to do something right now because I'm not going to eat today unless he intervenes. 
right? The, the, the passion, the, the sense that this is really, really uh, important. You can't control what is happening. You, you can't fix it, but, but you, you're deeply engaged with this. This is much more than just the formal, normal kinds of prayers. And then he puts it together with this other word, present. Present your request to God. And present is not nearly a strong enough word here. People present things to me. So yesterday, uh, Saturday, kind of our, our day off, uh, my wife has kind of hurt her back, so that's why she's not here, but it's kind of slowed her down. So she presented to me a honeydew list. <laughs> it was longer than normal, you know, because just you, you present that, to, you just, it just carries the idea of, of to give, okay? But this word actually carries the idea of to know intimately, of recognizing somebody. It's a relational word, uh, to really know someone well, like you know your best friend really, really well, or you know your spouse really, really well. You can probably even predict how your spouse will react in certain situations if you've been married long enough. And so, um, it's the idea of solving a, a mystery, reveal that sort of thing. And so I think what he's getting at here is this, this uh, idea of, of opening ourselves up to God, <laughs> of, of, of not just talking about this stuff, Lord, if you take care of this and take care of this and take care of this, but of revealing to God the inner fear of what we're, what's going on in our life, of, of being totally transparent, of owning it. It's not like you can hide it from God, Okay. But there's a difference between knowing that God knows and embracing that reality, right? I, I remember, I remember when I finally embraced what it was to be ADHD, to say to God, you put this awful thing in my life and I'm just gonna embrace it. I'm just, I, I need you to do something. I need you, I can't be a pastor with this sort of thing. You notice how you tell God what he can and can't do, I, you know. But that moment was liberating for me. I just, there's a freedom. There was a, a peace that came, and we'll, we'll talk about of this. So lay your, yourself bare before God. What's really going on? What are your deepest concerns? What are you really afraid of in all of this? And so let me put it this way. Paul is telling us that God works in our vulnerability. I hate that. <laughs> I, I wish God would just give me strength and make me super powerful and make me a superstar, you know? Well, that's not the way God works. And this isn't the first place this comes up. In fact, Paul talks about this a lot. Over in 2 Corinthians, he says this. Get, get this. Uh, he says, because of these surpassing great revelations as God gave me, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, hmm, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. There's another thing that's going on in his life. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect or complete in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. You know, maybe we should just start that. You know, we just all go around and we boast about our weakness, you know. Because we like to boast about our victories. Boast about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. I just do that all the time, just going, well, look at all my faults. It's so great. It's wonderful, yeah. In insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties, difficulties. And here's the thing we talk about. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. For when I am weak, then am I am strong. Paul is talking about this very sort of thing when we suffer, about getting transparent before God, about admitting our weakness, about admitting that we can't control it and we need him to do something in this. And here's the promise. Here's the benefit now. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. Amen. Yes, we've been going through all this to finally get to that. This is God's peace, the peace that comes from God. It isn't yours. You don't get this by gritting your teeth. You get this by an infusion of the living God into your life in that place of difficulty. And then transcends all understanding. It makes no sense. I remember this. When I was sitting in the hospital bed with the cancer that was supposed to kill me, I had this peace. People would come and you, you seem to be okay with this. And I'm like, well, I'm not really okay with cancer, but there's, I have a deep peace in the midst of it. Didn't change my circumstances. We talked about that last week. Hope doesn't change your circumstances. It changes you in your circumstances, amen? And that's what peace does. It changes us in our circumstances. And, and it doesn't make any sense. We should be stressed out and we should be angry and we should be bitter and all of those sorts of things. And yet, because we have the peace of God, we can maintain the gentleness because there's something powerful. It's supernatural. Hope is at work in us and, and the fruit of hope is, is, is this peace that comes from, from Christ. I've experienced it several times, never more than when I had cancer, but I experienced it when God called me to seminary because I had to pack up and move across the country. I was like, there is no way. And yet there came a time where the Lord gave me peace. When I had to come back here, it's like, oh, there is no way. I lo-. And God gave me peace. And when, I, when he gave me peace, I knew that he was calling me away from that place and calling me to a, a new place. So let, let's do a little test, okay? We're going to see how this works. Um, if you have ever experienced God's peace, the supernatural peace, while in extraordinary circumstances, would you raise your hand? Look at that. God is still moving today, Amen. Let's give God a hand, man. That is gratefulness to God. All that he is doing. Yeah. And so if you've never experienced that peace, I I hope you looked around and saw what was going on. That is available to you today. Amen? That is available to you today. Amen? Oh, yeah, I saw enough hands that that's where it's be. And then it says guard uh, or, or protect. I think, um, I don't know how to think about this, but my imagination goes wild, ADHD. Uh, and I think like a big old angel by the name of peace that just stands around and guards my, my, uh, my peace that's in my life, you know. And he, no, 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 you can't come. Get out of here, anxiety. Ooh, problem. No, 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 you go, you go out of there, you know. And I don't know how that guard works, but I, I do know this. He, he guards us in a profound kind of way. So we are not talking about the normal, average, everyday peace that we mostly seek during the, the workday. This is the peace that causes a mother of toddlers to lock herself in the bathroom while the kids are going, Mom, Mom. How many of you have experienced that, ladies? <laughs> yeah, no way. This is deep down that the world cannot understand or molest because the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, has given it to you. Amen? So quickly, I want to just kind of um, talk about how to get to this place. The, the makes no sense kind of peace. Say, makes no sense kind of peace. I know that's really bad English, you know. <laughs> but forgive me. Uh, It'll help you remember. Number one, you need to seek peace with God. That's the first thing. If you want God's peace, you have to seek peace. You have to ask him into your life. You have to ask him to forgive your past. You have to let him take control. You have to put your trust in God in all of that. Number two, you have to get real with God. 
You got to let him into those places that you don't want to let him into. Those places of fear, those places of shame, those places of control that you're holding on to. I remember as a kid, the old timers had a great illustration. They say, we let God into our life, into the home of our life, and we let him into the bedroom, and we let him into the kitchen, and we let him into the rec room and all of that. And, and then, you know, we grow a little, and we, we open up the closet. We let him into the closet where there's kind of a mess in there, and we let him into that other room where we throw everything when company comes over, you know, all of that. And, and then it, we're, they're still struggling with God. And finally, one day, we grab that box that's in the closet on the top shelf, way in the back. It's got comforters laying all over it. And we let him have that one thing. It's what I call the secret file that nobody knows about, maybe not even your spouse. And you'd be deeply ashamed if anybody knew about that. And that word for transparency is that idea is letting God open up into that place to let him bring healing in life. You gotta get real with God. And then you gotta put your absolute trust in God. You, you gotta say, okay, I'm with you no matter what. You remember I said, I trust God, and I trust God even if I don't get what I want. And at that point, it was my life. I'm telling you, that's not because I'm some sort of super Christian, because I am not. That's because I serve a super God that infused that life in, into me. And then ask God for his peace. Ask God for his peace. Say, Lord, I'm at the end of my rope. I can't control this if you don't come through. And in the meantime, I put my hope in you, but in the meantime... I need something from you. I need peace. So ask God about it. And then finally, get involved in bringing God's peace to others. Get involved in, in spreading the word. Get involved in, in that. Because we are supposed to be involved in heaven coming to earth. Amen? Amen. That we bring peace where there is no peace. That we, we work towards his kingdom of God and bringing it in this place. Will we get it all done before he comes back? No, no. But in the meantime, we're going to do it. That's why we do compassionate ministries. That's why we do all of these sorts of things. That's why we listen to one another. That's why we love on one another, that we might bring his kingdom from heaven into earth in this place. So if our musicians would come, I, I want to close with a, a great passage from Isaiah, and I want us to, whoop, <laughs> can I help you out? <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Um, we, uh, let's read this together, okay? You will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. Trust in the Lord and whose mind um, will, will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is steadfast. Okay, steadfast on the Lord. And this is my encouragement to you. As you go out of this place in just a bit, and if our musicians would come, um, Put your mind steadfast on God and your trust in him and allow him to give you the peace that comes from heaven. Amen? Amen. And I, I, just, I just hope you will do that. I hope that you will let him have control, especially in this time of year when everything seems out of control and, and life is, is difficult. I'm kind of waiting for them because depending on who comes out tells me what's going on next here in all of this. So I'm going to pray and hopefully they will come. <laughs> Uh, otherwise, you're leading singing, man. <laughs> we'll just do bass guitar and a little, there, there they are uh, with all of that. Uh, so, all right, okay, that tells me what we're going to do here. Let me, let me pray for you. Father God, Lord, I am so thankful that our hope is in you and that you are the one that can ultimately be relied on. I'm thankful, Father, that, that in the midst of that, even in those difficult times when life is completely out of control, when it seems like our world is breaking and falling apart, that you can give us a peace 
and change our anxiety about the other stuff, but there's a deep, deep peace that we can reach down and touch and understanding that you've got this, that you haven't abandoned us, you are, you are with us and you're working in it, and although you may not work it out the way we want it to work out, that we can trust you. And so, Father, I pray your peace on these, your people. I pray, Father, if they've not trusted you, Father, if they've not entered into relationship with you, that even right now, they would ask you to come into their lives and change them and clean them, and they would follow you, Father. And if they haven't let you get to that box that's in the very back closet on the top shelf covered with comforters, Father, that, that this day they would open that up and they would invite you into that place of brokenness and wounding and struggle, Father, that you might give them healing and, and peace in your name. Father, I pray that you would make us a people of peace. We pray, Father, now especially for what's going on in the Middle East, that the peace of Jerusalem, Father, would reign in that place. I pray, Father, that you would protect the innocent and you would bring the guilty to justice, Father, for that's a part of it too. We love you. We thank you for this. And we ask this all in the powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's sing. Family, thank you so much for watching this video. We hope that God is inspiring you and working in your life. If so, make sure you send this video to a friend so that they can be impacted by the good news of the gospel as well. Make sure you like and subscribe to the channel so that you don't miss a single video. And as always, we hope that God is continuing to work and move in your life. Thanks again for watching. God bless.